We're doing a series on foundations of our faith. One of the things that gets in the way of our walk with God is that we so often fail and do the wrong thing. We so often make mistakes, we do wrong, and this can fill us with shame, and it can stop us coming to God, and it can damage our relationship with God. So we we do something wrong, we feel shameful, and we feel too ashamed to come to God. I googled the word shame for looking for images, and this is what I came up with. Um, I guess dogs feel a lot of shame wearing that. I guess it's called the cone of shame on this um, this particular image. Um, so where does shame come from? Where's the origin of shame? Can somebody tell me about the first story of shame? Right, that's right. So if we go back to Genesis 2... We have the creation of humankind. Man and woman were created perfect, and they had no shame. We read in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. That's Genesis 2. In Genesis 3, we have them doing wrong, and this leading to shame. So we have, then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew They were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about the orchard at the breezy time of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. You may wonder and what this is, God moving around, like thought God was spirit. Well, it's thought that there are a number of times in the Old Testament where God takes on a physical form, and actually it's what's called a, a, a pre-incarnate, a pre-birth uh, Jesus Christ. It's actually Jesus. Before he came and was born of Mary, it's actually Jesus there moving in the garden. Uh, so that's they hid from the Lord God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The man replied, I heard you moving about in the orchard and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. So this is shame and this shame is unique to humans. Have you ever heard of an animal that's ashamed to be naked? Naked? Uh, our cat used to lie on its back with its legs in the air, you know, totally oblivious, no concept of shame. Um, why not? Um, because animals don't sin in the way that humans sin. They act according to their nature. And so shame is something that seems to be uniquely human. Now, if you ask people what the answer to Shame and the answer to failure is what is the answer if you're if you're suffering failure in your life? You'll get different messages back. How do I deal with the fact I, I fail all the time? Well, one of the answers you'll get is uh, self-esteem. You need to have to boost your self-esteem. Uh, yeah, but how do I do that? Well, maybe if a hundred times a day you repeat, I'm a wonderful person, I'm very gifted, it's an honor to be my friend, and maybe you write cards and you put them all, all around your room, and, uh, you know, you're, you're constantly seeing, seeing this. But you know what? It doesn't really work, because underneath, I know that I'm a mess. And um, it doesn't really deal with my shame. 
underneath, I'm a dirty dog, and if people could really see me. Um, so the idea is that, um, you know, you can take a dog and it's covered in dirt and you just put a clean cloth over it and everybody just sees the clean cloth. But actually underneath we feel, well, I'm still a dirty dog. Um, so uh, here's a picture of a dirty dog. Actually, it doesn't really work very well with dogs because uh, this picture's captioned, a muddy dog is a happy dog. So it doesn't actually work with dogs. But you can imagine you're covered in shame and dirt and just covering it up and pretending something is, is different isn't going to help. So I'm going to suggest three answers to that Christians come up with to the shame of our failures. Three possible answers. The first two I'm going to suggest I don't agree with. I don't think work. And the last one I'm going to suggest is the one that works. Um, The first one is this. God loves me through Jesus. And uh, it would go something like this. God's love for me is unconditional. Um, He looks at me but sees Jesus instead. Um, so, you know, God looks at me as, as if there's a mirror in front of me. When he looks at me, this mirror actually shows Jesus' reflection. So can you tell me why, what the problem is with this idea? Okay, so it's kind of a fake. Uh, I, I'm actually just as bad. The only, the only thing is that God isn't seeing me. God is seeing Jesus instead of seeing me. And um, uh, so you could sum this up as... Um, I'm loved, but please don't look too closely. So does that work for you? It doesn't work for me. But it's what was taught in, it's taught in a lot of Christian circles. And it's taught as the way that salvation works. Um, we're just covered up, but it's still true. That's the first wrong answer that I want to give, or ineffective answer. The second one is that it's like the opposite. God loves beautiful me. I don't disappoint God because he doesn't demand anything from me. Um, he loves me now that I'm under grace. I can never fail. And I just enjoy being the new beautiful person that I now am. Um, what's the problem with this? Okay. <laughs> So it works. It works okay until I crash. You notice it's my wife saying that I'm not. <laughs> uh, it, it works until I crash. And when I crash, the whole thing just doesn't work anymore unless I can live in some sort of de- denial and I can be, um, you know, closing my eyes to it. I don't know if you can read that road sign there. So um, does it show? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we crash and we get some, um, we mess up and we know that God's never pleased with the bad stuff, even though he's forgiven us. And uh, uh, I can maintain this kind of posture until something happens which shows what a sham it is. And so I'm going to suggest that this isn't really going to work. So the two extremes, one of them is that, okay, I'm a dirty dog, but like God doesn't, never, never sees that because he's covered me up in Jesus. And the other one is actually, I'm wonderful. Actually, I've got nothing to be ashamed about. I'm wonderful. And that's fine, but we're in denial and then we go the wrong way. So I'm going to suggest to you the third answer, which I think is the right answer, the biblical answer, 
And the answer that I find actually speaks to my heart and helps me. And this is what we have. God really does love me. God really does love me. And this is how I'm going to summarize it. God sees and looks right through you and sees the core you and he loves you. He sees the core you and he loves you. He sees your failures, but they are nothing compared with how much he loves you. He does care about the mess, but he loves you far more. He sometimes doesn't like what you do, but his love is 100 times greater. Now, I'm going to give you a very bad illustration for this. You know, sometimes, you know, the first time a teenager falls in love, then love is completely blind. It's like a mist. You know, they don't see anything. You know, uh, you can say to this teenage girl, um, well, this guy you're in love with, is he really suitable for you? Oh, he's perfect. Um, but what about that motorcycle gang he hangs out with? Oh, I'm sure he's a good influence on them. And, you know, love is completely blind. Well, I don't want to c- compare God to a, to a teenage girl in blind love. But in some ways, there's a connection there that, that God that God actually loves us in a way that we say, well, how can you love somebody, God, who behaves like that? But actually, that's what he does. Um, and what God says is, I love him or love her so much, I wear their name on my sleeve. He says, um, there's never a time that I'm not thinking about you. I think about you all the time. You're on my heart. You're there. Even when you're doing bad things, I'm thinking about you because I love you so much. This may seem like a big mistake to us, but uh, God's love is real. And this is how he tells us it works. Uh, can, any of you, can any of you think of anybody we read about in the New Testament who... God loved in spite of all the failure. Paul, yeah, Paul is a great example. We'll come to Paul in a minute. Someone else? Peter, Zacchaeus. Actually, you could go on. You could list because he, he showed a lot of love to the, to the tax collectors. So I'm going to pick Peter as a particular example. Um, can you remember what Peter did wrong? Any of us list things he did wrong? You're laughing, aren't you? Because that, it's not that hard. What did you do wrong? Denied Jesus. What else? Sent people away that tried to come to Jesus. Yeah. Cut an ear off. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, I wanted to sit next to Jesus in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, he did. That was, yeah, he did. That's right. He actually, later on, he wanted to keep them separate. He did something actually worse. Once, what he wanted, do you remember what he wanted to do with the Samaritans? Call down fire from heaven on them to burn them up. Yeah, that was, that's Peter. That's our Peter. Um, uh, let's, I've got a list here, just in case we've forgotten some. Uh, ask for a promise he could have the best seat in the kingdom. How we ordered Jesus not to go to Jerusalem. This is when Jesus is coming up to, you know, to the last time he goes up where he's going to die for the world. Peter says, don't go to Jerusalem. Um, 
And then uh, Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. You know, this is not doing good stuff. Uh, Cutting off the high priest's servant's ear. Um, Oh, but you know, you know, we've already talked about him denying Jesus. But before he denied Jesus, do you know what else he did about regarding the denial? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He... um, he boasted he'd be more loyal than all the other disciples. He said, you know, they may all forsake you. He said, but I will never forsake you. Like he said that. Um, so here's the question. Did Jesus love him? Did Jesus love him? He didn't want Jesus to wash his feet, did he? You remember that? But Jesus washed his feet. So Jesus loved Peter. Now, I want to say that... that um, this is not an accident that we're given this very, very graphic list of things with Peter. Did Jesus ignore Peter's failures? No, at all. I didn't say he didn't ignore them. He, he like, you, like, get me behind me, Satan, he said. Uh, he didn't ignore them, but his love was a thousand times greater than the failures. And um, so... There's a very interesting verse just before Jesus' crucifixion when Jesus prophesied he was going to deny deny, uh, him. And Jesus replied, Jesus added to that, Satan wants to sift you, Peter, but I have prayed for you. And so his love was, was there right even beforehand, and he was committed to restoring Peter, and he did. Um. In fact, so, so if you remember, what happened was afterwards, um, they were, Jesus came to him after the resurrection, came to the disciples. They were fishing. Um, they came into the shore. Peter realized it was Jesus, very kind of sh- full of shame, came into the shore. And Jesus took him through a conversation of reconciliation. And at the end of it, he said, he said, I'm actually going to give you the responsibility of leading my sheep. In other words, I'm making you into a shepherd. Wow, here's the man that has so many things wrong. And Jesus' response is, you're going to be a shepherd. You're going to lead people. You're going to feed my sheep, he says. And so this is the response. Jesus' total commitment to, to, to Peter. Um, Jesus loved his disciples passionately. Sometimes we can... Um, we can read these stories and kind of not get that there's something so real happening with Jesus. His love with them was so real. When he was arrested, he said, I'm the one. Leave those alone. It's me you're looking for. Uh, he was, he was uh, trying to make sure that they were okay. Um, and it's not like Peter's story is an exception here. It's given to us, I think, in detail as an example. But it's one of many, many stories where, P- where Jesus shows his love in spite of the way that we behaved. Um, but Jesus' love for us is based in reality, not in denial. He knows how prone we are to making mistakes, but loves us nevertheless. I want to tell you, Jesus knows every stupid thing you've done and every stupid thing you're going to do. And he is com- committed to you in passionate love, even dis- even despite that, there's a very interesting verse in Luke chapter 22. It says, this is before the Last Supper. 
Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And that I've highlighted fervent desire. It's kind of lost in our translation because it doesn't really work if you translate the original word in Greek into English because the word used in the Greek is the word lust. Now, in English, that is always negative. But in Greek, it can be used positively for an intense desire, a desire that's so intense it consumes you. And so Jesus is using this word for fervent desire, an intense desire that he has to be with his disciples before he dies because he loves them so much. And this is what he tells them. He tells them, I have so, I so long to eat with you, to spend this time with you because he loves them so much. So Jesus is someone who loves deeply. And This love is the perfect reflection of the Father's love. It's not that Jesus loves you, but, you know, God's a little bit concerned and a bit indifferent. No, Jesus came to show us the love of the Father, to express it to us. He delights to spend time with you, just as here with the disciples. He's saying, I passionately desire to spend time with you. He does with you. You know, sometimes we can see our times with God, our devotional times as a duty, and I need to do this to grow as a Christian. But this is a completely different take on it. He loves it when you spend time with him because his joy over you is so full. It's like, wow, you're going to spend some time with me. This is wonderful. I've been so looking forward to this. We're going to have some time together. I'm not being irreverent here. This is what Jesus said. He is looking forward to spending time with you because he loves you so much. We don't talk about that. We turn it into a duty. We turn it into something you've got to do to grow as a Christian. But he, he loves it when you spend time with him. So I want to tell you that this is the answer to shame. The answer to be shamed, to shame, is to be so intensely loved by somebody who knows you completely and utterly. To be so intensely loved by somebody who knows you completely and utterly. That is the answer to shame. And Paul was mentioned earlier. Paul is another example of somebody who is, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And he tells us, the love of Christ compels me. That's what drove him to do all the things he did in his life. The number of times he was imprisoned and shipwrecked and, and, and beaten. There was nothing because he had this sense of Jesus' love that was so compelling in him. I'm just going to read to you how he concludes the first part of Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. And where does this strength come from? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
He says here, it's hard to comprehend. We need the strength to comprehend it. He's praying that we'll get the strength to grasp it. Why is it that we have such trouble receiving this love? Because we know what we're like. We know we don't deserve it. We know that we mess up, we fail, and we don't feel we're worth it. And that's why it's hard. But through the power of God's spirit, he prays that we will grasp it. And that's my prayer for you and for me today, that we will grasp it because this is the power of the Christian life. This is what compels us. This is what drives us forward. This is what energizes us. This is what gives us victory. I'm praying this as much for myself as for you. I need this message today as much as you need this message. This is the message that will underlie everything that we do. I talk a lot about how Jesus tells us to love one another. But you can't love one another unless you're receiving his love. This is where it must flow from. You can't fill others unless you're filled yourself. If you try and love others without receiving this love, you're like somebody trying to give money from a bank account that's empty. Your bank account of love must be filled. Otherwise, you'll be running a deficit. And we all know that's not good. Even Jesus modeled this for us. Do you remember how Jesus' ministry started? It started by the Father speaking words of love from heaven into him. This is my beloved son. And so he's modeling for us, having these words spoken to us, and then it flowing out from us. So I'm going to end by um, reading Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, and the, maybe the, the worship team could come up now. I want to end by saying, we are his joy. And this is one of the most remarkable scriptures I'm going to read now. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him? What was the joy that kept Jesus going? What was that joy in his heart? It was you. You are his joy. It was because he's enraptured by you and so loving you that he despised the shame of the cross because of how much he loves you. I find this hard to grasp. I know, can anybody love me that much? Could God love me that much? But he says he didn't do it out of duty. He did it out of love. He did it because of the love that he has for you. Um, because of you, the cross and all its agony was just almost like nothing. It was to be despised by Jesus because of his love for you. Jesus despised the shame so we don't have to carry shame. But how do I know if I'm one of his disciples? How do I know if I'm one of these people who he has got such love for? Well, a disciple simply means someone who follows his teaching. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's not about how well you perform. <clears throat> if you had to measure up to a standard in order to get this love from Jesus, the whole thing would fall apart. The whole thing would be a lie. He'd be loving you because you met some standard. No, it's about being committed to trust that person. And what the, the only requirement that we have is that we trust 
that we're committed to him, that we give Jesus our commitment. And those who've given Jesus his commitment are his disciples, those ones who are counted in that number who Jesus has given himself for. This verse starts here, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. And that is a really good summary of not only what you need to do if you're not a Christian this morning, but actually what we all need to do. Because it's as we look to Jesus, as we look his eyes on him and see this love, then our shame goes away. And then feeling this love transforms us. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand now. I, I recognize that you cannot understand or understand in your heart, take in this message without God's power. And so I'm going to pray now that all of us who are here receive this message. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray, God, for you to speak the truth of this love into their hearts. That these words here that we read may be true for them. And what, I'm just going to read the, the, the verses in Ephesians 3, that these verses will be true for us. That we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Fill us, we pray, with this love. Amen. The woman who poured precious ointment over Jesus' feet is somebody who really got this. She really understood it. As she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, he loves me. He loves me. He sees me in all my my failure, and he loves me. And this love just overwhelmed her, and she understood it. She got it. How how precious this love was to him. So my prayer is that you will just really get this. You will sit with this until you really get it.